0: We turn for our text to Psalm 62. Our focus will be on the verses 7 and 8 and the rest of the psalm figures into that to an extent. And so we read our text in Psalm 62, the verses 7 and 8. On God rests my salvation And my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. These very words we will sing... And it's a good thing that they've been put to rhyme, otherwise it would be an experience. So we'll sing of Psalm 62 in the rhymed version the stanzas 3 and 4 as our response to the sermon. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. The longest stretch in the worship service that you're going to be quiet. We know why it is, because we have done this before. That stretch of 30-35 minutes is reserved for the sermon. That's the way we do things. Honesty requires... That we acknowledge that questions are raised concerning this throughout time. Some propose, or should I say, push, the idea that the worship service should be more conversation style, more personal, and perhaps a rotational testimony style. Quite recently, I heard a comment on that. It's interesting, someone who had been living a fairly rough life, but eventually was turned around by the Lord, became a preacher of the Word, and was asked, how come that you with all your background don't do what the mainstream churches are doing? And the answer was very simple, It's one thing to have a poor rock band up on stage having a performance and then someone gave a personal version of what happened to him or her and if that's all you do it's going to be disappointing. True believers need more than that and it struck me because it harmonizes with what we find in our text. But as you know there is a challenge Are we doing worship the right way? Take this example. The Roman Catholic Church, after the Second Vatican Council, proposed more lay people input. And so they did a whole bunch of things, including getting rid of the Latin Mass, because people didn't get it. It was literally hocus pocus to them. There's also the silent revolution that overtook the United Church. When it wanted to be all things to all people. Look where it got them. And then here we are. It seems that nothing has changed in our manner of worship. And it may seem to some that we are not with the times. We listen to hear something. What's the point? Why do we have this setup? What's this idea that a whole group of people who can get through life also by using their mouth sits here is quiet? Why is this the main part of the worship service? You should know for good measure that in the olden days, there was actually a lot less singing than we do. And there was a lot more sermon. If you're lucky, you got three s- verses to sing in the whole service. And why was that? After all, the complaint was, and is, that worship should be more interactive. So why, if you want to widen the question, why do we actually go to church? People are religious beings. And the desire to be religious is based on being safe and doing well. To have hope and to be safe is something that all people have. Now, how do you fill that in? We picked up something in the scripture reading about people putting their hope in things they have fashioned. Because people have that. They want to be safe. They want to have a perspective. And that's why, as an aside, in times of war and tribulation, churches fill up. Now, Psalm 62 speaks about these matters, about finding God as a refuge, as a rock. And you can pour out your heart before Him that addresses all the concerns. That any human being essentially has. And here is the interesting part of Psalm 62. That there is a certain way in which this reassurance is experienced. It doesn't come from us telling God what we want. But it comes from listening and God telling us what we need. That's why we are silent as God speaks. Then when you're hearing what you're supposed to be hearing, you'll learn something. And that will make you silent all over again, because you'll stand in awe. And so I preach to you the word of our God this morning. Be silent, for then you can hear God speak. Be silent for then you can hear God speak. That does two things. It leads to confession, and it leads to fellowship. So I proclaim to you, be silent, for then you can hear God speak. That leads to confession, that leads to fellowship. Brothers and sisters, the first thing that we have to get clear is that in Psalm 62, verse 1 to 5, We do not read in the original what it says in the translation that we're using. It literally says, My soul is silence. Our translation captures that pretty good when it says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. That's the idea that makes clear that someone waits in silence. We find that more in the Bible. There's this thing of silence in the Bible. In fact, silence is an integral part of worship, as Elijah found out. When he's in the wilderness, then he, has, he hears the noise of thunder and the storm. but it's silent. And then God speaks to him. And so Psalm 62 speaks about silence as well. Because silence affords an opportunity for good things to be heard, as we deal with in the course of the sermon. It's remarkable to focus on Psalm 62. Psalm 62 captures the realities of life. It's a study in contrasts. And as he considered those contrasts, The Spirit teaches us a lot. And I find it extremely comforting to spell that out for you, for your comfort. Because on the one side, and perhaps you'll read Psalm 62 during your lunch devotions as a, a unit, on the one side you find the clatter and the battering, and the throwing down, and the pleasure in falsehoods, and the inwardly cursing, and those of lower state, and those of higher state being lighted, and the breath in the balances. You read about extortion, robbery, and riches, and what it all does. And that's the description of the things that people do. Those are the pursuits of men. Those are the pressures people put on themselves and others, to have a sense of well-being and safety. Yes, there is the notion that people among people are not the best company. People drown out people. People squeeze out people. They will wound people and will kill other people. The pursuits of men, the pursuit of happiness, you might say, is a disappointing experience, to put it mildly. And in the world in which we live, it happens the same way as it is described in Psalm 62. Psalm 62 is a picture of our time. It speaks about all those troubles. There's a lot of noise out there. Our world is filled with the noise of assaults, insults, curse, and lies. And then there is in this world the complaints of those who suffer under that. Those who suffer under the assaults. Those who suffer under the relentless attacks of propaganda and lies. Who bless with their mouths but inwardly curse I'm not going to give you a review of the news and of all the developments in and around us in, in social engineering and, and so forth. You're well informed. But there's suffering because of injustice, of insults. And if it's not clear, not just from the extortion or stealing, it also is from curses and attacks. When one suffers like that, You may have questions. And maybe you want to present your case. And maybe you feel like joining the other side. Why not join in? If you can't beat them, join them. The Psalm warns for that. Set not your heart on them. Now, such a situation is what we see in Psalm 62. It shows essentially what is in the fabric of life. It is a thing that came from the first sin of our forefathers, Adam and Eve. They sinned. And the results we know. Everything became dysfunctional after. Their relationship broke down and their family became a dysfunctional family. And the evil spilled over quickly into all relationships. Cain murdered his brother. Lamech killed for small infractions. Killing, extortion, and all the other things in Psalm 62 were right there. Sin caused all that. But people still pursue what they think makes them happy. And that causes a lot of noise. There's the chaos of clatter and clamor. Enough to confuse even the most prolific multitasker. And in all of that, there's the call to be silent. Rather than speaking up, rather than complaining, rather than presenting your cause and talking about the injustice being done, is the call to be silent. God always does that. Because then there is silence. He speaks. For what he says is worth listening to. What he says, he says, as the, the sovereign, the almighty God. And the Bible is very clear about that. God Demands silence. And in the silence. He speaks. I'll walk you through a few. Passages in scripture to show that. In the beginning. There was silence. An awesome silence. And then God speaks. And he speaks the words of life. It was quiet in the beginning. If anything was heard, it was not the noisy clatter of man. Just imagine in silence, God spoke. And imagine what happened. Things started to pop up everywhere. The things that we know that exist came into being because in the silence, God spoke and says, there you are, trees, bushes, skies, moon, sun, stars. It was awesome to hear God's voice and to see what effects the voice of God had. And the angels, they broke out in worship. They were singing when God created all things. We know that. <coughs> from Job 38. Well, that same pattern you see when we consider what happened to Israel when they were called to worship. God, through the service of Moses, called the people in Deuteronomy 27. He doesn't say, Okay, come on over, saunter so up to me, and see what happens. No, he says, Deuteronomy 29, 27 verse 9. Keep Silence, and hear, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. And you shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments, statutes which I command you today. Again, the Lord says, silence. He calls the attention to himself. And that then is the, the opportunity for him to... Declare his will. In the same we see in in the life of Job. Talking about someone who was going through the roughs of life. At one point Job says, teach me and I will be silent. At another, we hear Elihu, one of the friends say, pay attention Job and listen to me. Be silent and I will speak. Be silent and I'll teach you wisdom. So we clearly see. So, when there is silence, something can be learned. Now, this is especially true when God calls for silence. God had silence in the beginning when He spoke, and mighty things happened. Israel was called to be silent, for a mighty thing had happened to them. Elijah discovered. That God appears to him in silence after the storm with reassuring words. He is in charge of business. So we read about silence in Habakkuk 2. After the seer's words about coming punishment for God's people. And about after much sighing by the prophet. We hear. But the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth. Keep silence before Him. It's repeated in the prophecies of Zechariah, where it says in the first chapter, Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated His guests. So that belongs to coming into the presence of God for worship. Silence. The Lord God, the sacrifice, the consecrated ones, When that comes together, it's time for silence. Most clearly it is presented in Zechariah 2. Be silent all flesh before the Lord. For he aroused himself from his holy dwelling. So do you have a pattern there, my brother and sister? When God says something, either for good or for punishment, you better be quiet. That's the call for all mankind to worship. And the call to worship starts with the call to be silent. So, when you're silent, mankind will see how God presents himself from out of his holy dwelling. Now, that became most abundantly clear in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the world, as it says in John 1 to present God in his glory. And we know what that means. He came to the sacrifice so that he can present the believers to God. Now, when that came to its climax, what happened? Three hours of darkness. And not a word was heard. Not a sound. It was silent for three hours. Creation was, as it were, holding its breath. Then the silence is broken. Because the Lord Jesus declared in a loud voice, It is finished. The work of salvation is done. So there you have it, Christ in the darkness, in the silence. Did you notice? It it resembles the darkness of the beginning. The silence at the beginning, when God created, it was after silence. And then God recreates, and there is silence again, and then it comes out. God presents himself as the God of salvation. And then it is time to worship. So there is the pattern, also for today. First, there must be silence. There must be awe. And then God presents himself. And that means that one learns about all that is in God. His justice, his truth, his compassion, his grace, his mercy, his punishment. And that is true worship. It must call all the attention to listen to the whole counsel of God. You clearly see that in the last Bible book, Revelation 8 verse 1. God is going to speak to point on what his salvation means for the whole world. But when he does that, what comes first? There was silence in heaven and on earth for half an hour. And then God speaks. When he comes to the conclusion of all things, when he is opening up for that mighty worship that will never end. Likewise, we find it as we read it in Isaiah 41. Listen to me in silence, coastlands. There's much in the chapter about the care of God for his people, but God looks beyond Israel to the coastlands, to those who are far off. Peter spoke about that as we heard already this morning. So that whole idea of being silent before the Lord, we find in Psalm 62. In the chaos that man has created, in that noisy chaos, there's only one way to connect with good things. The Lord does that by making an island of quiet in a sea of of chaos in the midst of trouble and turbulence we are called to make room for God to reveal himself in a noisy world we are called to be still before the Lord yes we are called to worship and then you find what you really need let's understand this well the soul is directed to find rest By waiting in silence. My soul must be still. Because we would also be noisy by nature. But we are directed to control that. We have learned that the call to silence comes at all those crucial points in the Bible. Those hinges in the history of God. And therefore our soul is commanded... be still so that it may receive rest in true worship we find answers for troubling and suffering souls in silence before God we find balm for the hurt peace in the chaos comfort in our confusion The text says, on God rests man's salvation and glory, the mighty rock and refuge. And those descriptions have a lot of meaning. For salvation is at work of God that makes man whole and functional again. Is at work that removes sin and corruption and ultimately will make you presentable to God, reflecting God's image. Excuse me. Now the remarkable thing is that the original speaks in very strong terms. It says, on God rests my salvation and my glory. Your salvation and glory is in God. That shows that God is the origin of all good. It shows that without God we wouldn't go anywhere or even exist. If God does not reveal himself, What are we doing here? There's nothing good. And when it says God is my rock, then in fact we're saying that we're living by grace alone. And that's what God reveals to us. Now you cannot find out about that in the noisy chaos of life. No one by himself can make any sense out of all those conflicting signals in the troubles of life. But those who wait for the Lord, those who are silent, can hear God speak. And that makes sense. It makes good sense. Because God doesn't babble, but he speaks words of life. He speaks words about you living through him. It also speaks about the glory. The God, God is the source of that as well. And you may think that it's somewhat peculiar because is life not about the glory for God. Why does man receive glory from God? Wouldn't it be the other way around? Well, true, man must be glorified, glorifying God. But God would not receive that from man. Unless God would first make man what he should be. What is man supposed to be? We heard about that. Image of God. And to be image of God, that is man's glory. When he created man in his image, he created a male and female that is restored in Christ And then we can glorify God. So when man's glory is in God, you have to say, that's logic. Where else would we get it from? People will not give it to you, as Psalm 62 clearly demonstrates. But God, and we heard that, gives you that glory. He restores you so that you can glorify Him. And so you see your life coming together. In God's work for you, you find your footing. He is your rock. And we know from the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, a rock is what you build your house on. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And The rain came and the floods came. The winds blew and beat on that house. It did not fall because I had been founded on the rock. Don't you think it's amazing that the Lord Jesus, in fact, says the same things as what Psalm 62 says? It's not surprising. He is the word of the Old Testament, but he says, these words are true. When you listen to God as I, Jesus Christ, present him, you are building on the rock, then God is your rock. And then you won't be blown away. And that's why all worship begins with the call to be silent. And after that listening to God, Yeah, then you've got something to talk about. In Bible terms it is called that God must reveal himself first so that man can confess his faith. In other words, true worship will make you talkative. Therefore, as all God's people know, be still. God speaks. Otherwise, you've got nothing to talk about. And so in the second place, those who listen to God learn how to speak, and that's how it works. In fact, you see some of the working of God's covenant in that. For it is it's always that God must speak first. And then man will respond with words and actions. And the verses of our text show that. It's not just words going back and forth. No, those who are graciously given salvation and restoration, they will be different people. They they have fellowship with God. They will function in the relationship of the covenant between God and man. And you find that expressed in the words of our text When it calls to trust in God at all times. And to pour out your heart to him. Trusting and pouring out your heart. Are things that belong to a meaningful deep relationship. You will never trust an enemy. You will never pour out your heart to an assailant. But with God it is not difficult. After all. God showed us what is in his heart. God poured out his heart when he created all things. God poured out his heart when he sought the sinner. God showed his trustworthiness when he began the work of salvation and restoration. So when God calls for silence it is because he wants to pour out his heart for his people so how hard can it be for a man to heed the call to trust in him at all times to pour out his heart to him after God has done exactly all that for us in that wonderful silence so to put it succinctly God is a refuge with God you are safe God doesn't seek to destroy God does not do harm he will cover you when the enemy threatens. He will cover you as with a shield. He will protect you when the foe assaults. He will destroy the wicked. He will encourage you with his words, while those who maybe bless you with their mouths are really cursing you in their hearts. God is our refuge and salvation. That's why you confidently can say, Whom shall I fear? Paragation, my brother and sister, in a world of chaos, God calls for silence. God calls to stand in attention. In a world of hostility and destruction, God brings his friendship and restoration. In a world of temptation and the snags of riches, as people pursue their happiness, God brings life. In a world where man's pursuits are destroying all relationships, God presents Himself and restores relationships and brings life to all those who listen when He talks and thankfully embraces covenant love. Remember and realize that what Psalm sixty two speaks about is what God in fact spoke about in the beginning. In that awesome silence of paradise, God revealed that he wants fellowship with man. That's why he walked with man as with a friend in the cool of the night. And even sin did not manage to stop him from doing that. That is why in this noisy world, there's a call to be silent. and To stand in attention for the Lord and his gracious word. Well, you hear the same in Psalm 62. God reveals Himself as the rock of salvation and by what He gives you, you can be meaningful and a thankful covenant member. Yes, God will continue to call to be silent, especially when we look to the end of times. Then God will call all to be silent. It's a silence that is an introduction to the mightiest worship assembly mankind has ever seen. An assembly whereby those who have worshipped themselves and the beast will be sent away. But those who followed the Lamb and who heeded the call to be silent to God and His Word, those who confessed God's Word and fellowshiped with God, they will go into that assembly that will be the one where all tears will be wiped away and all strife and struggle be banned. But to get there, all noise and interference must be silenced. The only place where you can really find the silence where God speaks is in the church, where the Word of God speaks. That's why we're quiet. That's why there's a silence. That we can hear God speak as He reveals Himself it's the faithful God who works salvation through Jesus Christ. And we are all called to tune in to God's speaking, but we're also called to tune out the noise. We're called to live in response to the words of life. May God continue to speak to us all so that we can see, say even now in the midst of all the clatter and clamor of the world with the conviction of the faith on god rests my salvation and my glory my mighty rock and my refuge is god amen